You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Great job, sir. Uh, one of our favorite hosting guys. Always do a great job. And I agree with your uh, election thing. <sighs> Time to breathe. So turn in your Bibles, please. We're continuing through First uh, Thessalonians. We're in chapter 4 at the tail end, and uh, we're going to be landing the plane before Christmas. And so I hope you're encouraged. Uh, it's a beautiful book, When God Builds a Church. The topic this morning really changed as I studied the word. And so I'm really going to answer the question, what happens when a Christian dies? Have you ever thought about that? What happens when a Christian dies? What happens in those seconds, milliseconds, instantaneously when a believer in Christ passes into eternity? And so we're going to address that, and hopefully we're going to give you concrete truth to hang your hat on, okay? Parents, this is vital, I think, for you, because typically this question will come up as you're raising the kids. For all of us, this is a great truth to understand why as we share the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, our sphere of influence, our coworkers, family members, etc. What happens when a Christian dies? Now, My first encounter with death took place when I was in junior high. That's my first recollection, where it really impacted me. And what happened was I was standing at the bedside of my biological father, Kenny, and he was dying with cirrhosis of the liver. He basically drank himself into the grave. And so there I am as a junior high student looking at dad who's jaundiced and basically lifeless. I was numb. Dad passed away, and fear just haunted me for the next years. All the way through my high school career, I remember laying in bed periodically and just asking this question, what would happen to Keith if he died, even in his sleep? And it was haunting. And because I had no answers and didn't know where to turn from answers, I just tried to bury it. Then I had to ask the question, where's dad? What happened to dad? And again, no answers to that huge question. And so I lived through my teenage years with that question haunting me. And then as I came to faith in Christ at age 19 and started to read the Bible, what a beautiful book that gives answers and hope for all eternity. Do you realize the book of Hebrews says this? And we'll come back to this a little later in the talk that Jesus Christ came to free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Think about that. That was me. And I'm literally talking about a seven-year run. And again, you know what you do with things you don't understand? You just try to bury them. Don't address them. Don't ask the questions. And so... Uh, Today, I can say, uh, because of Christ overcoming the grave, I no longer fear death, and I wish that for each and every one of us here this morning. Now, what was going on in the early church? We're not absolutely sure, but Paul, if you recall, three weeks with the Thessalonian church, remember? But he did teach them. Paul's a theologian, Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the Old Testament. 
He knew about these things, right? God's plan for the ages. And so he unpacked some of that in his three-week ministry as the church was launched in Thessalonica. But what happened between planning the church, getting expelled from Thessalonica, and now writing this letter, there were a lot of questions that the church had, and they had no answers. Very similar. We think maybe that martyrdom uh, was one of the hurtful experiences that were causing the church to wonder, gosh, what happened to, to this dear family member, this dear friend who lived in our community, our neighbor who was in our church that was martyred for their faith? We're not sure, but maybe. But at a minimum, we know this. There were loved ones in the body of Christ who had died, and the church was wondering what happened. They're wondering about this idea of the second coming of Christ, and we're going to unpack that in two weeks. I've been working on it the past week. It's a big topic. And so think through the implications. You're in the church, a loved one passes away, and you have no idea what eternity holds. You know what the Greek worldview was? The soul lives on, but it's an immaterial soul. Okay, it just kind of floats out there. It gets absorbed into the cosmos. There's not a lot of hope in that. And so the Christian teaching is so radically different from the Greek worldview. And so that's what we unpack. So when Paul wrote this section, and it really continues through chapter 5, verse 11, he writes it to do what? Give biblical answers to reveal God's truth regarding life after death. He also is writing to bring hope to those who have lost loved ones so they can think right and trust God that someday, as we're going to see this morning, there will be a reunion for those who are in Christ. And so I hope you have your Bibles. Let's stand as we uh, take a look at uh, what Scripture says. And I do want to highlight and uh, do something a little bit different this morning. I want to highlight 1 Peter, and I want to see if we could read this in unison. One of the practices of the church as we've worshiped together was the oral reading of Scripture. So hopefully you have uh, your eyes set on the screen, and could you join me? We'll read this passage together. Because this is foundational to the living hope uh, that we have through Jesus Christ for all eternity. Let's read together. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Please be seated. Friends, those are words of hope. Would you agree? Living hope, hope for today, when a loved one in Christ passes into eternity. Hope for you if you've come to genuine faith in Christ in recent days that you no longer have to fear death. And this isn't wishful thinking. We're going to see today that everything we're talking about is predicated upon one thing, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because that is reality, it becomes our reality. And we should stand in awe of God. So if you have your Connect card, and again, I encourage you, as always, please take notes. But all important this morning, because this is a very misunderstood concept 
for Christians today as it was back then. So hopefully we're going to have some truth to hang our hat on and we'll build upon it uh, for weeks to come. And so the blessing is this. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, each one of us can have what? A living hope. A hope for today when facing death and our mortality. And friends, the reality is that day's coming, right? There is the grim reaper. We know that this is a reality. One out of every one dies, George Bernard Shaw said. And so let's prepare. But let's prepare with a hope. And when death knocks on our door, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. So, five aspects of hope this morning. Uh, Let's dive in. And folks, there's a lot of content today. I told the elders that this is going to be a resource sermon. Maybe you'll come back to periodically. But do your best to engage. Do your best to stick with me. Hope number one. Jesus provides revelation regarding our eternal destiny. That word revelation is hugely important this morning. Folks, we're not dreaming this stuff up. We're not sitting around in life groups saying, hey, what do you think? What do you think? Well, boy, that's a good one. Let's, let's go with that this week, this month, this year. No, this is revelation. This is God revealing truth and reality for all eternity and giving us hope today. Where do I get that from? First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. Paul says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. And we're going to talk about that beautiful concept. So that you will not grieve like the rest. He wants to provide hope. Don't grieve. Don't be in despair. Yes, grieve, but grieve differently. Since we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again in the same way, God will bring with him, meaning Jesus, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Written to Christians, for we say this to you by revelation from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who are fallen asleep. I want to highlight just for a moment the phrase Paul uh, uses, we do not want you to be uninformed. Notice that. And the reason I highlight it this morning is he constantly does that in his epistles to the church. The flip side of it is, the positive side, we want you to be uninformed. We want you to know truth. Why? Truth sets you free. Truth is not only the person of Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's also the principle of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Let God's revelation, his truth, set you free. So Paul's drawing their attention to a question they had. Now he's going to address it. And it's a question of great importance, not only for them, folks, but for us today. So I believe, like the vast majority of people living today, the Thessalonian believers needed truth, needed revelation from Scripture regarding what? Death, heaven, eternity, hell. The soul, the body, the spirit. There's a lot going on in this passage. And so in verse uh, 15, look at the hope Paul provides. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. Now I want to spend a moment having you think just who the apostle Paul was. He studied under one of the great rabbis of the first century. His name is Gamaliel. 
He was a scholar. He was a Jewish uh, uh, Pharisee. He's pouring himself out in the Old Testament scriptures. But remember, he was persecuting the church. So he knew the doctrine of the church. He said it was heresy, and he's trying to stop it. But then what happens? He has a revelation in Acts chapter 9. Jesus Christ shows up. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wait, he's persecuting the church. When you persecute the church, you persecute Christ, why we're his bride. So there's this revelation, there's this encounter, and Paul comes to genuine faith in Christ. Then we know from Scripture that he takes a three-year sabbatical. He retreats to understand how Judaism, the revelation of the Old Testament, and the revelation of Jesus Christ meld into one. He had a biblical worldview that was Judeo-Christian. It wasn't just Christian. There is continuity, folks. Genesis to Revelation is called redemptive history. But then add one more component. He also had what's called divine revelation, where Paul had some mysterious things. He had an encounter with God in the Holy of Holies of Heaven. He said it was unimaginable. He wrote about that. I can't even speak about that encounter. It was so revelatory. Can you imagine Acts 9, having Jesus Christ, the Son of God, speak to you, Revelation? Why are you persecuting me, my church, my bride? So we have to embrace the idea that there's true truth and that God revealed to his servant truth about death, eternity, life, and so forth. Now, I want you to notice the phrase Paul uses. Maybe you're familiar with this, maybe not. He says, those who die in Christ do what? Fall asleep. You ever thought of what that meant or means? Folks, the same phrase was used by Jesus when he healed a gal who died. He says, listen, she hasn't died. She's just falling asleep. Why fall asleep? Well, Paul wants to give us a real picture of what it means for a true believer to die in Christ. And so here's what we want to do today, if you're taking notes. At death, the Bible makes a clear distinction between the body and the soul. Okay? Please hang your hat there. Makes a clear distinction between the body and the soul. When Christians ask what happened when they die, they are really asking two questions. Question number one, what happens to the soul? Question number two, what happens to their body? So let's talk about question number one, and then we'll get to the focus of the passage, question number two. The Bible makes it clear that the soul is the non-physical you that lives in your body. We call it personality, our intellect, our passions, our identity, our emotions. How many of you have taken the Myers-Briggs test? Okay, a lot of you. This test, right? How many of you have done the journey? You learn your shape. We're exploring who we are in our inner being, our soul. It's our shape, spiritual gifts, hearts, ability, personality, experience. It's who we are. So when we talk about soul, that's what we talk about. Now, there's many passages of Scripture that teach at death what happens. The soul enters heaven and is with the Lord of glory forever. Let me share one of those with you. 2 Corinthians 5.8, here's what Paul says. Paul says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 
Now, it begs the question, what is absent from the body? The body goes into the grave, right? So what is absent? Here's what's absent, real simple. The soul is absent. Where does the soul go? The soul goes to be with the Lord forevermore. Now, let me show you one of the most clear pictures of this in the New Testament. In Revelation 6, verse 9, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. This is a really powerful picture. Let me read it to you. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, what? The souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out how in a loud voice, and here's what they're asking. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, who are these believers in heaven at the altar interacting? Who are they? They're martyrs throughout the, the Christian era. Folks, these are the souls of the saints who have gone before us. But notice what's going on. They remember their martyrdom. In other words, they're conscious in the presence of the Lord. They retain their memory and they have a sense of justice. Lord, how long do we have to wait for justice? I believe they know each other. They're in relationship with who? With the Lord and with each other. And so when you think about to be absent from the body, to be presence of the Lord, it's a consciousness. This isn't soul sleep where our soul just kind of floats around in the universe. This is personal. It's relational. It's interactive. You are alive in Christ in the presence and glory of God. Friends, that brings hope. Would you agree? Can I get an amen? Man, that should jazz us, you guys. When I was 19 and came to faith in Christ and went from the fear of death to the hope of eternal life to know one day I'd be with the Lord in glory, if that doesn't jazz you, I don't know what does. Maybe because I'm an old guy. You young folks don't get it, right? You think, Ben, you think you're going to live forever? You are, but you're first going to die, right? Death is knocking at the door and we can be prepared. We can celebrate it. And so here's the encouragement. All believers who have died in Christ experience the same reality. A Christian will close their eyes on earth and instantaneously experience the glory of God in heaven. Your identity will not be lost. You will still have personality, but here's the kicker, without sin. Isn't that cool? Without sin. Ellen doesn't have to put up with me anymore. Without sin. What a gift. And friends, that's remarkable. We should celebrate it. Now, that's question one, okay? We spent a lot of time there. Question number two is really the focal point of this passage. So let's be pure. Let's be clear. The second question refers to our bodies. And in verse 13 and 14, it describes at death, a Christian body does what? Goes to sleep, okay? How many of you had a good night's rest last night? Two of you. Way to go. Stop drinking coffee. Stop watching late night movies. How many of you had a good night's sleep? More than two. Yay. All right. That's better. So what is sleep? It's temporary. You anticipated getting up this morning, coming to church, right? Greg anticipated his early morning quiet time with his coffee, right? Did you have it today? Amen. Amen. All right. You don't think you're sleeping forever. It's a temporary rest, hopefully, a break from the all. And then you get up 
and he moved into the next day. What a beautiful picture of a Christian who dies. Your soul is with the Lord of glory. Your body is doing what? Resting. That's the picture, guys, here. And this is tranquil. This is a gift. I tell you, the longer I go, I get a good six hours rest. I am a happy camper. So we get to rest for a season, okay? That's the picture of sleep. And that's the normative metaphor. But friends, it's a temporary state because one day there's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be a trumpet of God. There's going to be an archangel who speaks. And guess what's going to happen? The dead in Christ will wake up, will rise, will say hallelujah, and be with the Lord, join their soul forever. Now, you think that's a, only in the New Testament? No. Let me show you it from the book of Daniel. You might want to uh, mark this down. Daniel 12.2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. One day it's going to happen. Some to eternal life. Thank God for that. Those are the true believers. Those who have been uh, declared righteous by faith in the Almighty. Faith in Jesus Christ. And some to shame and eternal contempt. There's two groups. It's always been the case. And so we in Christ will one day experience that. But why is Paul giving such detailed explanation? Folks, you got to come back to the passage. There's one primary reason. They're living in despair. Loved ones, family members, maybe martyrdom took place. They're wondering what the future holds. And Paul says, I want to provide hope. I want to people of God to give a message of life and hope to a despairing world that has no idea. Is it reincarnation? I come back as a cockroach? I'll pass on that. Is it annihilation? I become word food? Doesn't sound too good. Or is there a resurrection of the body to meet the soul, join together with the Lord forevermore? That's the picture, and that's the picture of hope. Let me tell you about my second encounter of death. Dear friend, uh, at Cincinnati, I was a youth pastor. He was my mentor. He was an elder at the church, had a lot more youth ministry experience than I did, Greg House. And so I was two years at the church before Ellen and I married, and Greg was going to stand up at my uh, wedding, and Lynn, his wife, was going to sing at our wedding. That same week, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I'll never forget being with Greg in the hospital, and they took a chunk of his brain out. It was concave. We watched Greg and Lynn navigate brain cancer for eight more years. And friends, what was beautiful about Greg's story then, and it is today because it lives on and the fruit still ripples out, is this. Greg's life was the same before cancer and the same after cancer. Why? Because he was the real deal. He continued to work as an executive at Procter & Gamble. He continued on as an elder. He served faithfully and continued mentoring me in youth ministry. He raised two daughters for the kingdom and glory of God, all in with his marriage. My first funeral is Greg's funeral. First funeral as a young youth pastor. Procter & Gamble showed up. The place was packed. And I'll tell you, as we told Greg's story, and as people stood up and testified, and as Lynn was there and his daughters were there, the hope that filled our church and that community and that company, Procter & Gamble, was enormous. 
We had a discipleship ministry when I was a youth pastor. Greg was discipling four, four students. Three of those four went into vocational ministry. Remarkable. His two daughters, Lindsay and Kristen, uh, served as wives to vocational missionaries. And we've journeyed with them for the past 30 years. That was a remarkable journey of eight years to watch a man in Christ die with dignity. Why? Because he had a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Folks, we're not just singing songs here. When that knocks on our door, do we really believe? Do we believe because Jesus rose from the grave, we will one day rise too and join him forevermore? It's a living hope. Secondly, hope number two, Jesus provides a tangible reality for our eternal destiny. Tangible reality. Where do I get that? Look at verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him, meaning Jesus, those who are falling asleep through Jesus. Uh, Tyler, thank you for unpacking a little bit about creedal language, right? And so there's numerous apostle creeds that have been written throughout uh, church history the past 2,000 years. Summary of the Bible, summary of the Christian faith. This is where it started, folks. This is creedal language that Paul is giving the church. We believe something. We declare something. We have hope because there is true truth. This isn't wishful thinking. We're not dreaming this stuff up. It has a tangible connection to who? The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a pregnant phrase, folks, but I'll tell you this. It is the foundation stone of the Christian church. Please don't miss that. Let me share with you a few verses that show how important the resurrection is, why it is the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 15, 13, 3 through 4. Paul says this to the church. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is primary. This is foundational. You miss this, you miss it all. Here's the first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know what Paul's doing? He's going back to go forward. Continuity of scripture. The Old and New Testament were Judeo-Christians. According to what scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There was a day in my faith journey where I focused on the New Testament. I don't understand that. I don't know why I was taught that. Hey, this is the church. This is the new covenant. The old covenant's passed away. Oh, my goodness, we're missing the boat, folks. And what a recalibration that took place in my life about 20 years ago. <laughs> no, there's one story, and it began in Genesis and concludes in Revelation. It's a redemptive story. It's a love story. It's a resurrection story. Now, later, in 1 Corinthians 15, let me show you something show you how important this cornerstone truth is. Paul says this. If Christ has not been raised, notice this. This is speaking to you and me, speaking to our hearts. Your faith is worthless. Can you imagine? I've been a Christian 43 years, and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not real, my faith is worthless. Secondly, you are still in your sins. Oh, that's not good news. Would you agree? 
There's no good news there at all. Everything about our faith and the debt of sin being paid through the finished work of Calvary, Father, forgive them, is predicated upon one thing, Jesus Christ raised from the grave. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also done what? Perished. They just disappeared. They're gone, annihilated. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, look at this phrase, we should be pitied more than anyone. Do you see it, folks? This is foundational truth. Credo truth is so important. Some of you are familiar with the uh, name Gary Habermas. Anybody know that name? Gary Habermas. Come on, Connor, just raise your hand. Just fake it. Chelsea, just fake it. I hate when I do this. Ah, His story will still work. Gary, theologian, just author, godly man, all in, gave his life to doing one thing, helping the church believe this reality, that Jesus Christ lived, died, buried, rose from the grave. He is a prolific author. He has written enormously on one topic, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. But guess what happens? As he is feeding the church, blessing the world, pouring out these truths regarding this credo reality of Christ, at age 43, his wife had a stomach cramp. She goes into the hospital thinking she had a flu. She's got cancer. Four months later, she dies. You're all in. You're a theologian. You're writing on one of the most, the most important topic, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And so Gary starts to wrestle with his faith. God, how could you let this happen to my wife at age 43? And Gary sensed God just softly speaking to his heart, speaking to his soul and say, Gary, did my son Jesus Christ rise from the grave? And he would say yes. But then time goes on, he's pushing back. She's gone. I miss her. The loss is enormous. How can I continue on? And God, through his spirit, softly responds, but Gary, did I raise my son, Jesus Christ, from the grave? Gary's humbled. He says, Lord, you know I believe. Help my unbelief. But friends, here's the kicker in this gentleman's life. He didn't have all the answers, and he still doesn't. Nobody could answer that. Four months, cancer gone, my wife of 43 years old. But you know what? He didn't have all the answers, but I'll tell you this. He had the ultimate answer. That Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, he rose from the grave. And in like manner, everyone who dies in Christ will be resurrected. It's tangible. It's real. It gives us hope. Hang on to your hope. Hang on to that hope. Hope number three. Jesus promises a reunion. This is the fun part for our eternal destiny. Look at verse 14, please. Again, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, God will bring with Jesus those who have done what? Falling asleep through Jesus. So here's the encouragement. When Jesus Christ returns, he's not coming back alone. Who's he coming back with? 
the souls of the saints who have died in Christ. And here's the encouragement, folks. Please hear me. If you're alive, when that day takes place, it's called the rapture, and we'll get to that. If you're alive, guess what? There's going to be a reunion. That's what's being promoted here. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, the disciples of trouble, he's going, going to be with his father. He said, hey, don't be troubled. Father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not so, what I've told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you where I am also. That's reunion language. I'm coming back. There's going to be a party. There's going to be a celebration. How fun. How many of you enjoy like 10, 20 year reunions? I'm like on mm, 45 year reunion. Anybody topple that one? Who's been to a reunion lately? 20 year, 30 year high school reunion? All the men are like three times what they used to be. You know, the big athletes, the big athletes, the jocks. I wasn't a jock. I was on the other side of the the camp, field, whatever. It's like, all right, man, you should lose a few. Look at me, I'm, I feel like a jock today. All right, side note, wasn't in the notes. Do you like reunions? Who's been to a reunion lately? Anybody? Greg, what, what year reunion? Family reunions? Family? Okay, good time? A lot of food? Yeah, and how many Argonbrites? 2,000? Other side? Okay, I don't even know your maiden name. But they're fun, right? Hopefully. Yeah, reconnecting, all that stuff. This is, don't miss it, the reunion of all reunions. Now, I know this seems a little bit silly, but I, I think it's just real. I had to unpack and say, what would that really be like? So the first question I ask is, so if I was alive when Jesus returns with all the saints, who would I like to see? I had a pastor who really influenced me from New York, John Moran. Let me preach. First year of coming to Christ, I had hair down to here. I was a punk. You know some of that story. Friday night, he brought four or five of us into his home every Friday. Open your Bible, boys. Let's dig into the Bible today. Okay, John, let's do it. We knew nothing. I remember sitting at a bus meeting uh, kind of recruiting thing, and hey, we need workers, we need captains, we need co-captains, all this stuff. So I said, I'll pray about this. Next thing you know, I'm a, a co-captain. It's on John, the pastor. He just signed me up and got me going. I can't wait to see John. I wasn't there for his funeral. Um, took place a number of years ago. Great memory. How about you? Grandparent, great-grandparent, loved one, family member, dear friend, Folks, it's real. There's going to be a real reunion. How fun. How about saints from Scripture? Who do you look forward to, to meeting? I asked Ellen. Ellen's is Daniel and Esther. Yeah, I think I know why. Who do you look forward to like hanging out with for all eternity? Come on, you can talk to me. I have the privilege to let you go or not, you know? I mean, you can, you can leave if you want, but I can just keep talking. If, if you want to get this done, respond. Yeah, Josh, Moses. Moses, oh yeah, Paul, okay, the author of Hebrews, right, way to go, Greg, who is that guy, kink, yep, yep, anyone else, Peter, okay, it's fun to think like that, right, how about in Christian history, my number one person who influenced me greatly is a gentleman named Jim Elliott. 
Studied at Wheaton, wrestler, all in, gave his life to the Aka Indians. He was martyred in his mid-20s. Uh, his wife was left with daughter Natalie. And Jim wrote a book called The Shadow of the Almighty. It changed me forever. Open the book cover, first quote by Jim. He is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll never, ever forget reading that. He is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Etched on my heart forever, that's when God called me into vocational ministry. Thanks, Jim. I look forward to seeing Jim. By the way, his wife, Elizabeth, and Natalie went back to the Aka Indians. So much has been written. The whole tribe came to faith in Christ. Ended a spear through gates of splendor. Movies were made. Beautiful story. Jungle pilot and so forth. Who do you look forward to being reunited to? Folks, that's something to celebrate. It just would be really cool. So <clears throat> let me show you a picture. I, I think I've introduced this couple before, Bob and June. Bob was our pastor and mentor in Cincinnati. He passed away with Alzheimer's, struggled with that for about 20 years at the tail end of his life. June today is 93. We get to see June about once a year. We saw her a few weeks ago. Sweetest gal, saintly saint. But you know what June says to Ellen and I every time we're with her, and these are over the past uh, years that, that we reconnect. She says, uh, I'm ready. You know what she's saying? I'm ready to go be united with Bob, and I'm ready to see my son Jeff, who died young with pan pancreatic cancer. I'm ready, Keith and Ellen but she's vibrant, she hangs out. Last time we had breakfast with her. From breakfast, and I mean, we're talking farmer's breakfast. From breakfast, she says, I'm heading to the gym. I'm like, I'm going golfing, that's cool. You're going to gym? Have at it, June. She went to the gym and then came and hung out with a few more ladies after that. I'm ready. Are you ready? Folks, if it knocked on your door, like Gary Habermas's wife, four months is the real hope when you're 93. She's vibrant. She's kicking it. She still drives. She's ready to go. But she's ready. She's ready for the reunion. And friends, it's not only Bob, her husband. It's not only Jeff, her son. It's Jesus, her Savior and Lord. That's cool. Hope number four. Jesus promises a bodily resurrection for all eternity. And folks, please grab hold of this. Why? This is opposite the Greek worldview. They had no interest in the body at all. The flesh was evil. Let it just die and deteriorate. They did believe the soul kind of lived on, but it was immaterial. Remember Casper the Friendly Ghost? Kind of just like floating around out there, puff, puff, puff. Just no substance. The Christian worldview is opposite. So let's unpack that. Look at verses 16 and 17. And I love this language. We'll come back to this in two weeks. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Can you imagine what Jesus is going to say? With the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Remember, those who are sleeping will rise. Then we who are still alive, if we're here when this event happens, will be caught up together with who? With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And notice this beautiful phrase. So we'll be with the Lord forever. Folks, this is the physical, literal, bodily resurrection of the saints. Do you believe that? 
today. We're not just going to be some sort of immaterial something out there for all eternity. You will have a physical resurrected body. What a blessing when you think of a gal like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been a quadriplegic since her teenage years. People who've dealt with all kinds of ailments. What about soldiers who have lost body parts and have been maimed for a better part of their life? A resurrected, glorified body. Now, as I said, this is opposite the worldview. Let me show you two verses. Time's not on our side. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Just stick with me here. Dear friends, John says, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. So there's still a mystery. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now we know in part, then we'll be known fully as we are fully known. But then he says this. We know that when Jesus appears, check out this next phrase, we will be like him because we will see him, visibly see him as he is. Those two phrases are enormously important theological truth. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what will we see? Let me show it to you in art form. This was a popular picture that came out of the 15, late 1500s. Can anybody identify what passage of scripture, what narrative this highlights? What's going on here? Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, it's powerful. But you remember the story, Gospel of John, Jesus raised from the dead, physically present. People saw him. They ate together. He walks through walls. So that's kind of pretty cool. And Thomas says, you guys are nuts. You know, if I can put in modern day vernacular, <laughs> I can believe that stuff. What were you drinking last night? You know what I mean? I know it's been a tough time, guys. Stop, stop going crazy. And Thomas says this, unless I touch his hands, touch his side, I will not, what? Believe. Jesus shows up, says, Thomas, go ahead. I'll honor your request. Go ahead, Thomas. You, you can touch if you want. Here's what Thomas does. He's humbled. My Lord and my God. He saw the physical, resurrected Christ whose wounds are perpetual for all eternity. This is Revelation chapter 5, where we have the lion and the lamb together. Yes, the lion from the tribe of Judah is coming, the conquering king, but the lamb will never, ever be forgotten. That's why you have this beautiful picture of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And you know where we're at the doors? The pearl indicating the suffering. And every time you come into the city and out of the city, you'll remember the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. His wounds are perpetual. He's in a physical glorified body. We will see him. Today, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So what are the implications for you and me? Let me show it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Please stick with me. For the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. There's a glorified body, and we will be changed for all eternity. 
For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. Folks, Jesus is in a literal, physical, glorified, resurrected body, and his wounds will always be remembered. You're going to be physically raised, glorified, to be with the Lord forevermore. We'll recognize each other. We'll hang out. Our personalities will continue. It's just going to be a blast. So at the elders' meeting, try to bring a little levity to the thing today, we were talking about candidates that some of our elders are talking to and uh, interacting with, and the topic of something that the church was doing about a decade or two ago, got in the movies, got in the music, music and they tried to get real creative. What would Jesus say to so-and-so who's got a, this kind of life or that kind of life? So I went back to God in the movies to see if I can illustrate it. How many of you remember Pinocchio? Remember the classic Pinocchio? Did you like the movie? You got this little wooden guy who's got this kind of life and all that stuff. But remember what happened to Pinocchio? He drowned, right? And how did Gepetto respond? He's broken. But then who comes along the fairy and says what? Awake, Pinocchio, awake. Maybe God in the movies, but here's what I'd like to suggest. Here's what's going on in this beautiful picture in Thessalonians. It looked like real death for Pinocchio, right? But boy, life was breathed into him. He didn't come back as a wooden toy. He came back with real flesh and blood. Our death looks daunting. Our death can bring overwhelming grief and sorrow and loss. It can hurt greatly. But here's the reality, folks. There's one day Jesus Christ is going to come. The trump will sound. The voice of the archangel. The shout of our Savior. The dead in Christ will be raised. And will be alive forevermore. This, this is glorious truth. And we thank God for that. So elders, how did the God in the movies work? Was that okay? About a five or a six? All right. Last one and we're done. Here we go. Hope number five. Jesus promises a reassurance for our eternal destiny. Look at verse 18. Therefore, do what? Encourage one another with these words. Let's encourage each other with these words. Let's encourage each other with God's truth. I had an aha moment as I was studying. And the aha moment is this. Our worship team can come forward. Sometimes we think this about this life, that we are in the land of the living, preparing for the land of the dying. I think the Bible says it just the opposite, that we are in the land of the dying, preparing for the land of the living. That's our hope. Resurrection. And so shall you be with the Lord forevermore. So here's the question, dear friends, do you have that hope today? It's a living hope. It's not wishful thinking. I did not at age 19. I want to close with a story of Greg Argenbright. Greg, how old were you when the pastor asked you that question? 18. Greg was 18, and the pastor says, Greg, do you know for certain today if you died, you'd be with the Lord forever for all eternity? Greg says, I don't know. I have no idea. Pastor shared the gospel with him. Greg came to faith in Christ. Fast forward, here he is today. Folks, if you're here this morning, you're not sure, that's okay. But guess what? The Bible wants to answer that 
all-important question. No longer fear of death. Christ conquered the grave. Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? It's been swallowed up through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so our elders are going to be available uh, for you if you want to talk more about this. My dear wife, when she heard a message like this, she went home, knelt at her bed. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. She cried out, Jesus, forgive me. Came to faith in Christ. Fast forward, here she is with hope. Do you have a living hope? Do you know for certain if you were to die, you'd be with the Lord in glory? That's the hope we can have. Let's stand, let's sing, and uh, our elders are going to close out this morning with...